Welcome back to the Nourish Your Potential podcast. Today is episode 16 and it's a little bit different because today I have a client joining me who I have worked with since June last year. We got talking about the podcast recently and I'm lucky enough that he is willing to jump on and share his journey with all of us. Today I welcome on Scott Chamberlain from the Mighty Taranaki. Scott, good morning to you. How was the weekend? Good morning. Uh, weekend was great. Um, except I wasn't in the mighty Taranaki. I was in the mighty Wellington. So, yeah. The windy Wellington. Yeah. Although the weather was the weather was awesome. Oh, so, nice. Yeah. Good. Did you manage to get up to some mountain biking? Sure did. Yeah. Um, normally, when I'm in Wellington, I'll try and ride at Macro Peak, but um, thought I'd do something a bit different this week. And went out to um, Wainuiamata, which is a little bit further out south towards, I think it's out the Hutt Valley way. So did a bit of work in the mountain bike park over there and up and over a couple of hills. Yeah. So it was, it was good. I'm not at all familiar with Wellington, so maybe I need to go out and explore some of these places myself. <laughs> yeah, I reckon, um, I reckon you should. That would, that would be awesome with some of the trail running stuff you do. It's so much. I was just like, when I came back home, um, it was, I was just thinking, shit, it's good down there because there's so many um, hills and like, parks and natural areas that um, you can just get on the bike or go for a run. Um, I think it ran into mostly runners where I was, but yeah, it was just all the hills surrounding Wellington. I really knew there's just such a huge network of trails in there. So mm. yeah, definitely worth a look. Mm. Yeah. But, but different to the Canterbury Plains where you have to kind of go hunting for hills, but um, in Wellington you probably can't avoid them. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, and it, it is May, so it's Everest month. So you know, everyone's going to be climbing hills, right? So, how is your Everest challenge going? What are you up to? Um, I think I've got about three on the board, three thousand on the board. Thousand, nice. And we're yeah, we're not halfway through, so that's pretty good. Yeah, three thousand or so. Um, if anyone isn't familiar with the Everest challenge, it's where you try and climb Mount Everest or more within a month in terms of uh, vertical gain. So that can be on the bike or running or whatever or a mixture. Um, but it's certainly a good challenge. <laughs> yeah, it, it's come with a bit of a bad time this month because I did. I think I did about fourteen thousand last month, so I'm a little bit, <laughs> a little bit tired. But that's okay. Um, I'm just trying to find out how much I've done when I'm talking to you, but I can't actually. Strava's just not working. But that's all right. Yeah, 3,000, there you go. 3,000 vertical. That's pretty solid. Good. That's, yeah. um, so, Scott, for those listening, how would you introduce yourself? Like, who are you? What do you do? <laughs> I think it would be easier to answer that question. Um, so, I I guess my, my name's Scott, as, as you say. I am... Um, I'm part of, I suppose, the Team CP crew of um, endurance people now. Um, and I, before that, I, I did a whole bunch of other sporting stuff, um, but mostly it was team sports. So football and rugby. And um, when I stopped playing all that sort of team sports, got into um, things like mountaineering and powerlifting and that kind of thing. And um, yeah, just for a whole number of reasons, ended up finding myself gravitating towards cycling uh, and endurance cycling and here we are now um yeah i don't know if that's technically great introduction but it's yeah that's yeah. <laughs> yeah. your introduction into cycling did you start with road or were you drawn into the mountain biking scene uh so i, I suppose i've always biked a little bit um when i was 
uni and to and from my first job and that was all on the road bike and um, I also worked in a cycle shop in Wellington selling and servicing road bikes for people so it was all, it was all road bike stuff mm. until pretty recently yeah. Well that's helpful so you'd have a fairly good knowledge of bikes and all the ins and outs and yeah I mean it's helpful going into a sport where you know a lot about the actual bike like I know yeah. when I, I started cycling no idea um. enough, to, enough to be dangerous I mean I don't know that I yeah I think I've got a, a basic um, understanding of some mechanical things but um, I, to be honest I, one thing I learned about working in the bike shop was um, always take your bike into the bike shop instead of trying to fix it yourself because it's just, you can just so easily mess up mm. so yeah well I can probably get myself out of a jam rather than the mechanics do it yeah yeah. As a kid growing up, were you quite sporty, like team sports and? Yeah, so I grew up in Scotland. So oh. if you didn't, if you didn't play football in Scotland, you didn't have much chance of anything much. So yeah, I um pretty much every night after school, we um we were kicking a ball around at the back of the house, and we were we were lucky enough to have like a a grassy field in our block, which all the kids used to come and play. So. Yeah, it was always football when I was when I was a kid, mm-hmm. um, and then football. When I went to high school, football was on a Sunday, which I couldn't play because my parents wanted me to go to church on Sunday. So they did something else, which ended up being rugby. Um, so yeah, started out with football and then continued on with rugby, and then we moved over to New Zealand when I was fifteen, and. Um, Continued on playing rugby when we got back here. So, were you born in Scotland or New Zealand? No, I was born in Tarana, but um, my mum is Scottish, so we moved over there when I was about four, yeah. um, and just to spend some time with the grandparents, um, get to know them for a bit. Oh wow, yeah. that's pretty. And cool. we ended up staying for yeah, ten or eleven years. So. Yeah. yeah. Did you go off and pursue studies, or you know, what did you do sort of through your teenage years and young adulthood? Um, oh, yeah, got through school, um, obviously, and just sort of continued playing it. And well, I played in the first 15 and had some moderate success at rep level um, down in Canterbury, but then uh, left school and went to uni, mm-hmm. uh, studied law at uni, and never really got away from that. Still um, still studying law, uh, just doing it for a job now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, throughout uni, I uh, dabbled in. And a bit, of, a bit more rugby, um, but really got more into things like hiking and mountaineering and the occasional bike ride. Mm-hmm. Um, but there just wasn't really a whole lot of time to anything too seriously mm-hmm. um, with with studies. So I just kind of bumbled through with sport and that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, kind of kind of dropped out of the whole team sport thing in uni. Although I did kind of play every now and again, just not that much, not mm-hmm. consistent. Mm. At some stage, you must have gotten in contact with Team CP. Yeah. And Richard. Yeah. So how long have you been working with Richard? I think we just took over a year. Okay. Um, within the last couple of weeks. And um, well, how the whole mountain biking thing came about was really um, just over two years ago. Um, no, more than that. Three years ago, before the whole COVID situation happened, I, um, one of my good mates was... Um, on my case, about getting into mountain biking as something that, you know, 
so you should do that. You should be doing that. Um, and he's a very persistent guy. Um, and one day, a bike showed up at my office that he'd um, ordered for me and sent me the bill. Um, and it came with an entry to the port to port, which is like um, it's a full day stage race in Australia, which is part of the Epic series, which the Pioneer used to be part of um, before they came there. Um, and so I thought he told told me that it was a wine tasting tour <laughs> <laughs> in the Hunter Valley with a bit of biking in the morning. So oh, that sounds all right. Get back to Creek. Um, so I did two training rides for that um, to get used to the bike, and then found myself entered in a four-day stage race, showing which is really unlike me. I normally research things quite heavily before committing to them, but um, I think on, on this occasion I was just like, oh yeah, whatever, we'll get into a bit of this mountain biking thing. And day one, I think was 65k and 1200 vertical meters, and I've never ridden more than 10k on a mountain bike before. Um, so that's, that's how I got into mountain biking, and um, I got through that, um, but it was it was pretty shit. I think I was dead last by a very long way, um, and the whole um, all of the support crew and the event were like coming behind me with their years. There's about four of them around me. Do you want to ride? Do you want to chuck your bike in the back? I'm like, no, that one, I'm going to finish this. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was that was kind of the first my first mountain biking experience of any significance. Um, and it was a bit of a baptism of fire, to be fair. The next three days were pretty unpleasant, but we got through it. Was your friend being truthful that there was wine tasting? Uh, there was a winery. Oh, yeah, there was we, a winery. We, we, <laughs> 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 but it wasn't in any state to enjoy it. Like I, <laughs> I think one of the... Um, I missed one of the days. I missed the third day because I just was up all night vomiting and cramping because I just was no good. Exactly. It was too much. Oh, yeah. gosh. Yeah. Um, but I found something that, like, I'd kind of to that point had always been able to do everything that was thrown at me. So I was like, ah, oh, it'll be fine. But that was the one thing that I, like, it defeated me. And I was like, ah, oh, shit, this mountain bike thing's quite hard. I've got to figure out how to do this. Um, and sort of bumbled along a little while and then realised I needed a bit more help. So that's why I got in touch with the Team CP. I'm kind of impressed that after that ordeal in Australia, you weren't permanently put off mountain biking? Oh, look, I still have some PTSD from it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, but it's it's that thing of, oh, this, this beat me, and I don't I don't want to beat that again. I don't like things that, that defeat me, so I was like, all right, no, we'll come back. And it's still on my... Um, still on my horizon as a I need to finish that event and go back and, and do the full four days instead of three out of four mm, mm. Um, so I'll, I'll get there with that cool. I think that actually that race is this week okay um, I haven't been able to get back this year but you know maybe next year or the year after yeah we'll be able the, to go back and do it a good go so yeah. Yeah. the borders are a bit easier to cross as well mm. although they're getting mm. there slowly mm. that's right yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah. you you've achieved quite a lot uh, working with Richard in the last year, what would you say some of the biggest learning outcomes have been for you in that time with regards to like the day-to-day training aspect? The, the consistency side of things is probably the main the main outcome. Um, one of the, the reasons I struggled with mountain biking or endurance-based sports was the, um, the lack of consistency. So I would, I would find myself being able to get out for a ride and then 
that would that would remain, or the wheel would be rubbish, or there'd be another reason why. And I, and I just go through the cycle of I'd get one or two rides in a week um, if I was lucky, with no structure, and you know we drive for fun, which is obviously still really important to do that, and that's the reason that we all do this stuff anyway, is because you know it's fun. But I wasn't getting any better because I wasn't being consistent and it just ended up being, you go in the circles of, you know, of wanting to go away and do things like the old ghost road and the timber trail and like some of these cool ones that we have around the place. I was finding that it was just running through an endless cycle of trying to get in shape to go and do those things. And then I'd do them and I'd be wrecked for a couple of weeks afterwards. So just kind of, I was like, oh, I just need to be better overall at this stuff and the consistency element that we introduced with some coaching we help with that. What are you currently working towards? Currently working towards the Walk 100 this year in mm. October. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, um, I entered the 50 last year and I think I was ready for that. I you know, got myself in, in reasonable shape to get it done. But then it was cancelled and postponed and cancelled and what have you. And then it was on and then it was off. So it was like, oh... So when they pulled the pin on it, I um, I shifted my focus to the volcanic epic, which was supposed to be happening in March, which was a, another four-day race, but that was in New Zealand this time, and I knew what it entailed, so I was going to be ready for it. Um, but that came back as well, so everything's just sort of pivoted now towards okay, let's let's go for the the big one, the Walk 100. Um, so that's what the focus is right now. And for those who have no idea what Walker 100 is, how would you describe it? Like, what's involved? What are the trails like? What's the vertical gain? Yeah, it's 100k on the bike. It's last year's course, I think, was 3,200 metres of climbing. So it's, yeah, it's a reasonably significant undertaking. Um, my understanding is that you ride the majority of the trails in the, in the redwoods. Um, which is, you know, if, if you haven't done the records and you love a bit of mountain biking, and everything like that's awesome because you get to see pretty much all of the good stuff. Um, although I'm not sure that they have a lot of, I don't think they have the, the black lines like the grade fives. I'm pretty sure it's all grade threes and a few fours. Um, and for those that don't talk mountain bike, that's pretty much everything you can roll over without having to jump or drop. Significant. Um, but I don't know the course yet this year. location it you, you sort of describe it as near Rotorua is that right yeah it's, it's the Whakarewa forest which is which is yeah it's just just outside Rotorua yeah. um but yeah if you're into Rotorua it's right there so, cool. yeah. with your confidence and training and everything at the moment how are you feeling I mean it's still several months away but how are you feeling at the moment going into Waka 100 um yeah 
I swing between um, being quite brave about it and like brashly confident to we'll just smash this out to um, waking up with cold sweats terrified about it. So it's, it's kind of, <laughs> it's two extremes at the moment. One is you'll be fine and the other one is, oh, this is big. Um, it depends who I talk to. Um, some of the people I talk to about it are like, oh, you'll be sweet, it's no problem, all good. Um, and there are other people are like, oh, my mate did that and he's really fit and he really struggled. Um, so, you know, some of those conversations are helping and some are not. I think it's important to have goals that terrify you. Yeah, you've got to be courageous, right? Yeah, it gets you out of bed in the morning. And with, um, because you've mentioned you've done mountaineering and you've done powerlifting and a few other things previously, do you feel like the powerlifting history and that strength component has helped you in terms of getting into the mountain biking so seriously? Uh, Yes and no. Uh, With powerlifting, it's a very specific sport in that you compete in three big lifts and the only purpose of it is to lift as much weight as you can. Um, and that requires a certain type of training and a certain type of um, a certain amount of calories that you need to eat. And basically, you eat as much as you can so you can lift as much as you can, right? Um, and that gets you nice and big and strong. And that helps... But when you, the only thing that you're training for in that respect is to be able to waddle up, waddle up to a platform and lift away and then waddle back again. Um, it, it doesn't have a whole lot of real world applicability. And what I ended up doing was struggling to tie my shoelaces. So, you know, mm. and you just ended up with a sore back all the time um, because of the, the weights you're lifting and, and, you know, the training that you put yourself through is so. Um, you, you get to a certain point, or I got to a certain point with it where you probably reach the peak of what you can achieve without either a further set of supplementation or going full-time. And when I say supplementation, I mean, you know, not necessarily legitimate supplementation. Um, yeah, and you, you get to that point where you're just like, oh, you know, I have to work so much harder to put an extra kilo on the bar and it's just like, but now it's pointless. Um, and for the amount of, you know, bombs you get and tiredness you feel, from competing in those competitions, like it just got to a point for me where it's like, oh, I need something more sustainable than this because I'm just going to wreck myself. So, but it, it did give me a good, strong set of legs and back, mm. uh, which absolutely helped with cycling. Mm. Um, my, my, I've got some pretty good, decent power numbers um, at the moment, which you know has all come from weightlifting. You don't get strong by not lifting weights. I guess, um, but it makes you heavier too. So heavier doesn't help with cycling. So it's a power to weight ratio based sport. So if you're heavier, you need to work a whole lot harder, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, it's helped, but it's also hindered. Mm. And yeah. what do you mean by not legitimate supplementation? Um, uh, like testosterone. And was that um, quite a common theme in the powerlifting space? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, they didn't drug test then. Ah, uh, well, there's, there's a, it's, it's such a political environment mm. um, at the level that I was getting to. So there's like different federations and some of them test and some of them don't. And, you know, I was offered it so many times by the coach. 
got into my head at the time um, and others and I never chose to do that so this is not why I'm doing this um, but yeah I was aware of pretty much everybody that I was competing with was in some way shape or form cycling training or any of those kind of um, steroid based supplements so, yeah mm. um, which yeah, never was never really interested me at all mm. yeah and can seriously mess up your body too mm. yeah. Uh, yep. When did the powerlifting stage finish for you? Uh, it, just before I got into mountain biking. Right, so okay. I, um, I actually, in a training lift one time, I ruptured a disc in my back and um, was out for a period of time. But you know, came back and came back a lot stronger from that injury because I trained everything to support that around it, mm-hmm. um, and then competed in a few national comps, and then started to get to the point where I was, you know. It had reached my what I thought was my own capacity, and my I went to the osteo one day because my back was just hurting. He said, "Dude, you got to stop. It's just not. Mm. I can't." He's a good mate of mine. The, the osteo we go and see sometimes, yeah. and he said, "Look, you know, carrying too much weight. You're, you know, you're nice and strong, but when, you, when was the last time you needed to lift a car off anyone? Mm-hmm. Have to lift a car off anyone?" And he said, "Well, that's what you know. That's what you're training for. So mm. you know, maybe look at something a little bit more fun and sustainable for your body." Mm. That kind of kicked me in the right direction. And have you found your back's been fine with cycling, or is it sometimes aggravated when you're training really hard? Or well, no, it's, it's, it's usually fine. Um, a good bike fit and um, you know, proper gear helps with mm. that. Um, sometimes it gets a little bit achy if I've had a big day climbing hills um, on the middle bike. It's because you're kind of in a weird position. Sometimes you've got to get right over the front of the bike, and other times you're hunched over. So yeah, a little bit achy, but. Nowhere near as bad as it used to be, mm. and it, um, doing a lot of core strength work to help with that as well. Yeah. But no, it certainly hasn't hasn't hurt. Yeah. Cool. And now you're focusing on strength to supplement your training rather than to just lift huge weights. Yeah, that was a battle. Um, <laughs> and, and Kim, who um, the team CP strength coach, who I know you know quite well, will tell you how much she had to work to get me <laughs> doing a single leg deadlift. <laughs> Which I still don't think is a thing, by the way. It's just not something you should do. <laughs> Although it is. Um, but yeah, so I, I do some strength training a couple of times a week now. Um, yeah. But it's all single leg. Um, I don't think I've had two plates on the bar for a long time. Um, so you know, it's 100 kilos. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, working in that higher reps, training it kind of to that failure point. And um, yeah. Single leg stuff mostly. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't have any events to work towards or um, you weren't coached or anything like that, what would be your main reason for getting out and getting on a mountain bike? <sighs> that is a good question. Uh, I think it, um, the reason I actually picked it up in the first place was because I needed something to do that didn't take me all day. So the the mountaineering sort of things that I was enjoying after I quit powerlifting was it's a full day exploit. You know, to go and climb a mountain, you need at least a day most of the time. Um, and I enjoyed getting outdoors because I'm stuck indoors all day. Um, so mountain biking seemed quite natural to get a combination of outdoors stuff and together with a little bit of um, excitement. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's certainly not a boring sport. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, that was part of the reason we got into it. And then the the reason I've stayed doing it is because of the feeling that you get when you're 
when you're doing it, like when you've hit a trail and you finish and you get to the bottom and you look around at your mates and you're laughing at, you know, the, the drop that you missed or how you bailed off and looked stupid doing that or how you were just in the zone the whole time. And, you know, there's all of those things that are really good about mountain biking. And mm. I think I was talking to Mike and you a while ago about the flow state that you can get into when you're on that. So you just get into the zone of nothing else matters except the next rock or the next tree or the next route. Um, you can't just think about work. You've just got to think about how you get through the next section of trail. And that, that does wonders for your headspace when you've got a job that takes up a lot of mental headspace. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, you get to a stage where your body's just an automatic or what I can call cruise control. And mm. all the things you're worried about beforehand or stressing about when you're out there, it just just disappears and when you get back all of those problems that you're worried about seem so much less better better yeah and there's 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 a lot of um there's a lot of material on this stuff online at the moment um podcasts and all that kind of thing i was reading a book about it a while ago as well um about that and i think it's it's flow state they call it flow state so um and one of the guys that's done a lot of work on it's a guy called stephen kotler i think um some of his podcasts are really interesting, eh? Like it's good, well worth listening to. He's been on Joe Rogan's podcast and all that sort of stuff, just talking about this flow state that people get into. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, you can you can find that through it. It's not it's not easy to find, but I found it in mountain biking. You just everything switches off. You just live in zone. Yeah. Yeah. And what? So about a year ago, you got in touch with Richard. What then made you reach out to work with me? Yeah. Something wasn't working. Um, there was a missing piece in, in a puzzle, and you know, I was I was doing a lot of training, um, doing a lot of hours on the bike, and you know, felt that that was improving. But my general, I guess my general health and fitness and health feeling just wasn't quite right. Something wasn't quite there, and um, I was concerned about still carrying quite a bit of extra body weight. That wasn't helping. It wasn't helping me climb faster or go faster on the bike, or just there was just that piece that was struggling to unlock. And I'd, I'd worked on some basics of improving nutrition with Rich, but um, we both recognised that we really needed to to actually get that right. First of all, for the amount of I guess increased endurance work that I was doing, but also you know, fueling myself to actually make that happen so to get optimal results from the training that I was doing it's, it's pretty disheartening when you're riding 10 12 hours a week and you hop on the scale and look see how you're going on and you haven't lost anything so we thought there's something going on here that we need to look into a bit more mm. yeah. so that prompted the call to yourself and has your what's your health journey looked like as an adult would you say you've you know been in really good health I wouldn't say I had struggles until I did if that makes sense, like I, like it was everything was everything was and still is all good, um, but I think that port port event um, kind of woke me up a bit in the sense that until that point I couldn't find anything that I couldn't do. So you know I could climb mountains, I could go and lift heavy weights, I could play rugby, I could play football. You know there wasn't anything, and you know. I should say as well that I was um, with the mountaineering side of things. I actually got involved in mountain rescue, so I ended up doing a lot of fairly extreme stuff on the side of you know frozen mountains. <laughs> um, 
if there was a health thing or not. And that's when I started asking questions and it took a while to actually get to the bottom of all of that. But the health's been fine until probably until I started doing endurance sport and then started realising that something wasn't 100% right with all of that. And um, it started out with just actually I was on a trip with some of the boys doing some mountain biking and one of them mentioned to me one morning, he's like, mate, you sound like you were dying last night. I said, what are you on about? And he goes, oh, you were snoring and you are stopping breathing and um, kind of worried about you. So I'm like, shit, that doesn't sound too good. Um, so I, when I came back home from that trip, I actually got some sleep testing done and um, we found out there was a bit of sleep apnea going on. Um, and as soon as I started taking some steps to remedy that, things started improving all over the place. So it took some time, but and you don't just wake up one day feeling fantastic, but um, actually getting out of that deficit of fighting yourself every night when you're trying to sleep, that sort of kick-started the whole thing for me. I was starting to feel a little bit better now, getting some rest. Yeah, uh, so that was, I suppose, the, the thing, the health thing that I kind of unlock, which we did, and then when we started working with you, we sort of uncovered a few other little, I'm not sure I would mistake health concerns, but they were things that we needed to deal with um, to avoid them becoming health concerns. Eh? So, yeah. yeah. And do you want to talk a little bit more about what we look, looked into and what we discovered? Um, <laughs> you might be better off doing it because <laughs> I kind of, I just sort of trusted you with the process on that until I looked. <laughs> Um, I asked that enough about it to know how to fix it. So, in short, we got some bloods done and um, then we got some more bloods done and we started looking into things that probably don't form part of the normal blood panel. Is that right? You have to go and get some blood quite different. Or, um, but you've got to start probing in a different area and we discovered something with um, insulin resistance. Mm. Is that right? Yes. So you might want to take over there. <laughs> I'm happy for you to talk about that. This is... What, <laughs> what we basically captured was looking at the, the early stages of insulin resistance. And I guess if that was left unresolved and you just continued on, then the risk of that is it can, you know, eventually become something like type 2 diabetes. So we basically found that, you know, fasting blood sugar levels were at the very highest end of normal alongside very elevated fasting insulin and, a, again, very high-end HbA1c, which is basically your average blood sugar over the last three months and we use it as a marker for how someone's blood control blood glucose control is um so that uncovered a lot and i think your gp was even happy that we discovered that as well eventually and i think we drew maybe for repeats in a, a month as well to see how everything's going which i'm really looking forward to because i feel like there will be some huge progress there um so yeah that at least i think gave us some understanding of hey there is something going on and it's you know it's not just you thinking that things aren't working or your hard work's not paying off there was actually things that we needed to attack um so yeah that changed our focus a, a wee bit um and if you think back to this time last year scott which was just before when you did get in contact with me what would you say have been some of the biggest lifestyle and dietary adjustments you have made in the time we've worked together yeah, um, that's a good that's a good summation of it. Actually. You put it much better than I could. Have done. So, um, but yeah, in the in the last year, I guess since we started 
figuring their stuff out. Um, the, the lifestyle changes have reverted more to um, being less prepared, uh, sorry, being more prepared around everything food-wise. Um, having go-to meals or strategies for dealing with things that um, would make that problem worse. Having a whole lot of more knowledge in my toolbox to actually deal with how to make this not becoming something that I need to actually, you know, basically preventing diabetes is, is where it's at, isn't it? So you know, having a whole lot more information and knowledge and skills to be able to have a more balanced, I want to say diet, diet's, diet's like a bad word, isn't it, really? Um, but, you know, being, being the relationship with food has changed quite substantially from being something that's so overwhelming and almost panicky every time you've got to eat to something that's now okay this is this is all controllable this is all very calm this is all it's all okay now um whereas before i think it was it was feeling quite hectic and quite frantic of going well I'm training my ass off and i'm holding on weight because i'm eating what i'm thinking i should be eating um and that all came down i think to how we analyzed and looked at carbohydrates wasn't it mm. and the kind of default when you're um, doing endurance sport is to eat more carbs because mm. you need to feel. Um, but my understanding of what we discovered in the bloods was that you know, eating more carbs is always the answer for, for people that have this kind of thing because it, it doesn't get absorbed into your bloodstream quite so quickly and it just gets stored, right? Um, is that well, I'm not trying to tell you how to be a dietitian. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's kind of loosely speaking how I understood it was that, you know, yeah, it's more that your body doesn't respond as well to carbohydrates or there's um, some resistance to the insulin. And insulin's ultimately that key that helps um, the metabolism of our carbohydrates and how our blood sugars are regulated. So, th yeah, that was one of the main things too. And I forgot to mention with the bloods, I was just thinking then as well, um, there was another one we did which is called triglycerides. And they're a fat in the bloodstream and they can, again, be another really good marker of sort of meta metabolic health and um, can reflect all sorts of things. Like if someone's blood sugars are too high, sometimes triglycerides can be impacted or if someone's drinking too much alcohol, those kind of things. Not that you were, um, but again, that one was elevated fasting too, which kind of just completed that whole picture for us. I just think I forgot to mention that one. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. with your carbohydrate intake, one of the key things we have done as well is we have really focused on periodizing your carbs of the day. So, yeah. timing them around your training sessions and not just having like a huge serving of carbs at dinner when your training was all in the morning. <laughs> That's basically it, isn't it? It's just you know, using that knowledge now to, to structure the day's food intake around. Uh, if I've got a, a couple of hours on the bike, I, I, know, I know now that eating some cows before that's fine, uh, but having macaroni and cheese afterwards is probably not good for me, or maybe not anyone, but particularly not good for me. So, yeah, it just, it's about getting fuel before, but then getting back to that protein intake afterwards. And what other key learning outcomes have you taken from you know, working together in the last year? I used to worry a lot about nutrition. Like, it used to be a real stress for me of going, you know, I think I used the word overwhelming before. Like, it can be just so intimidating because there's so much information out there telling you to, you know, low carb is best or 
high fat is really good or you know they're gonna that or eat too much of that meat this and eat that but you know it is quite a it's a really overwhelming space to get into when you just need to know some how, how to address you know eating and getting through your day with, with the right fuel mm-hmm. basically mm-hmm. um what else have i done or what have we changed yeah i guess it's it, it, yeah it's just knowledge now right so you know i have a I have a whole lot of things that I now just go to and it's become habits. So, you know, eating and one of the things that I wrote down about this was it's been the hardest thing to do, but getting rid of the scale was a big move. Um, you know, when we started this, I was you know, weighing in a lot. Every couple of days I'd be checking and if it doesn't go down, that adds stress, uh, which is not helpful because it's, Weight does fluctuate, doesn't goes up and goes down. Um, but it was, it was like the hardest thing to do to actually just put the scale away and bring it out maybe once a month now just to check how things are going. Mm. Yeah, um, that's been a big one actually. I feel a whole lot better from having done that, but it took a while to get to that. Like it's taken how long a year to get to that point? Mm. Yeah, and I feel like since when we started as well, like your yeah, like your mindset with food has changed so much in that time as well and changed for the better and like you said even like weighing yourself and all of that um yeah it's been quite significant yeah i think you know if you look at a year ago and like if i'd gone away for a weekend of riding with um with the lads like we do often um you know i used to think of the the evening meal as a reward for the days riding and you know go to town so you know, we'd go out for dinner, but all, all of us would be guilty of this, but just piling up everything, you know, destroying the restaurant pretty much. Um, <laughs> and, and just my, my mind space around that has changed so much now. And I used to also stress about that going, well, you know, should I be eating this? Am I doing the right thing? Am I eating, you know, am I getting the right food? And yeah, it doesn't matter. I've had a big ride. I can eat whatever I want. Um, and look, I do understand the value of a good custard square after all. I just have to ask for a computer about that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, what, what I was doing was, was probably not um, healthy or constructive or, or beneficial in any way because it, that relationship with food thing has, has been massive. Before it was always stressful worrying about it. Now it's like, actually, yeah, I'm okay if we go out for a burger after a ride. That's, that's okay. Um, as long as I've done what else I needed to do, sort of during the during the day, and got my got my nutrition in around my training, what I tend to find is that I don't want to destroy the restaurant. I'll just go and have a, a pretty normal meal there, and if, if I'm having dessert, that's okay. Mm. If I'm not, it's okay too. It's really changed from being I need to eat everything to what well, I know what I need to get the best out of my training just out of my day and the rest of it just sort of slips into place without too much worry which is probably the best thing right it's just that relationship change mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. would you say your mental health has changed a lot in the last year yeah i think so um i don't think you wake up one day and realize shit i'm unhappy and it's the same thing you don't wake up one day and realize oh i'm okay now it, it kind of when we started analyzing everything and especially the sleep side of things, you don't realise how shitty you're feeling until you actually start feeling better, and then you go, actually, that was rubbish. I felt 
like a zombie every day because um, I wasn't rested. And so that's the sleep thing, but the nutrition side of it and the mental health side of it's improved as well. Just because I think there's not that stress and worry about what I'm eating and how I'm eating it. It's, I just know what to do now. Mm. That's me. So, yeah, there's a lot less stress and worry around training and nutrition. Mm. And it doesn't need to be complicated. Well, that's what's been great about working with yourself is that it hasn't been complicated. Like, you know, there's been there's been some challenges to work through, but they've been easy enough. Mm. They just require a bit of dedication and a bit of commitment to making it work. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's not instant. All this stuff's not instant. Like the whole thing, it's not instant gratification. We're talking about we're talking a year on from where we started, and it's it's, it's better. It's not perfect, but it's a whole lot better. But it's taken quite a while to actually get to that space. Mm. I think the first six months was a real battle. Mm. But yeah, overall, feeling much better. And <laughs> and it's basically like every time we catch up, it's just. It's never anything that drastic. It's it's tweak, 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 tweak. And we're never aiming for perfectionism. We're just, there's just always going to be things to, you know, work on and focus on. And sometimes it might be coming back to something we focused on a couple of months, but maybe it's kind of slipped a little bit or something like that. And, um, yeah, I, I feel like every time we catch up now, you know, things just sound so well-rounded for you and... I think a lot of what we've worked on has just become a completely natural part of your lifestyle. Like it's just natural habits. And like you said, it's uncomplicated. You can just do it without thinking that hard about it. Um, and now, you know, physically, mentally and in your training, everything is just coming together so well. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good summary of it all. Um, I like to think of it a little bit like a Rubik's Cube. Um, <laughs> because you're, you're constantly fiddling with it. And, you know, one week you might have had not very good protein intake, for example. Um, might not have fueled particularly well or recovered pretty well after rides and be feeling a bit tired because of that, or you know maybe the sleep's been off that week. But it, it's it's knowing it's knowing all the variables, and you know when we have our catch ups and check in with each other on those things, it's usually a bit of a run through of well, how's that been and how's that been. And, it's not until we actually start thinking about it and you realise actually, yeah, my lunches this week were rubbish. I, I didn't get myself organised and I ended up in KFC twice. Um, and what? <laughs> what? <laughs> I, I didn't, but uh, yeah, it can happen. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but, and, and just going, look, that's not the end of the world, but hey, we can be better next week and... Um, all the other aspects of, the, of what, you're, what you're working on are great, but um, hey, go back to what you know about swimming at your lunch and, you know, maybe what you have to breakfast. How was your breakfast this week? Well, you know, had a bit much Nutella on my toast instead of peanut butter or whatever, you know. just It's just constantly looking for the little things. To, and like you say, it's never going to be perfect, but it, um, it's humming along relatively nicely now. Before we caught up initially... Was your preconceived idea of a dietitian true to what it's actually been like? No, no, that's no. It hasn't. Um, I had worked with a couple before, but it wasn't particularly great those experiences. So the um, one of them that I worked with was just a constant food diary. You need to be able to see what's going on, but um, 
it, it felt like it was a judgmental experience rather than a informational gathering one. And, um, and the, the dietitians that I had on that were just giving me a plan. So they would just say, here's your nutrition plan, go away. I don't know if they were actually registered dietitian or not, to be honest now. But it was just a case of like cookie cutter, here's a plan, go and eat this. Um, no analysis work, no nothing like that. And yeah, I was a little bit reluctant to get into that again. But obviously glad that I didn't have those. It's not like that at all. It's very different. Yeah, it's more of a, it's much more collaborative and understanding, adaptive process about, you know, optimising your optimising health, I guess. Mm. Yeah. So what would be your advice to anyone who's on the fence about getting in touch with a dietitian? If you're on the fence, you're obviously thinking about something that's wrong or something that you could feel better about. Um, and if you're in that place of needing some improvement and you're thinking about it, then there's nothing to lose. There's really not. Um, it's not an intimidating process at all. It's it's confronting, and I think you need to be prepared for, for that. You can't get away from the fact that it is a process that you actually need to have a good look at yourself. But what else are you going to do? Yeah, it is a, it's, you know, you've got to where you've got to, probably because something's not quite right, and you're in control of that, you can fix it. So just be prepared to, to have a look at yourself and, and deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a big, big front, it's not bad. You, you know, it's, it's, it's all growth, right? But it's, it's not something that you can just show up to an appointment and expect the world to change just by adding lemon to your water every morning, <laughs> you know, or taking these supplement pills. Yeah. That's not how it works. You, no. You've got to be prepared to change, but you've also got to be prepared to look at yourself and go, oh, I need to change. But but you can help with that and you can help make it manageable. You know, it's okay to be scared and intimidated by the process, to be fair, but, you know, get into it. Mm. No, is there anything else that you wanted to cover together today before we wrap up this episode? I just want to say a big thanks to, to yourself. Um, you know, that, that's been something that's been... When I told my wife about what you discovered, she was like, oh, that makes so much sense because she's seen me go through periods of working really, really hard and not losing a gram, you know, like not losing a kilogram of body weight despite being out there just absolutely flogging myself in the gym and on bike and all that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, I think deep down I knew it was something to do with the nutrition side of it, but I could never really put a finger on it, what it was. Um, and it wasn't until we sort of found it, that out and unlocked that that we actually had some success with, you know, dropping a bit of weight and um, being healthier and fitter and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, that's just really grateful for you to have discovered that. And I think that's, that's awesome. And yeah, thank you. It's been good. Yeah, thanks, Scott. It's yeah, it's been a pleasure working with you, and I think um, hats off to you too because everything we have discussed, you've you know wholeheartedly put your focus on, and that's exactly why you've had the results and outcomes that you have. Um, I can't ever do anything for you. You know, I can only help walk alongside you and guide you and help educate you on what to do. But at the end of the day, you still have to be responsible to initiate those changes yourself. So, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Have you got um? Have you got anything else? No, I I think that's been a a really great chat today, and um, thank you so much for actually being willing to come on and share your story on this podcast. Um, I'm sure a lot of people will love to hear just 
your journey and um, your mountain biking stories and what you're working towards um, and also what it's like to, I guess, work with me as well. So, um, yeah, thanks so much. Okay, thank you.